The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. So after the headlines, I have a a very special guest today, uh, Alexander Lapshin. Now, let me tell you that I was just in Armenia for two weeks uh, finishing the principal photography for my documentary feature film called Motherland uh, about last year's attack on the Armenians of Artsakh by Azerbaijan and Turkey. And so I learned that uh, my today's guest, Alexander Lapshin, was in Armenia. So, you know, I was very excited. I interviewed him for my documentary, but then I decided to also interview him for my show also. Um, just a brief sort of a, an overview of Alex is that he is a, an Israeli-Russian travel journalist who happened to go to Artsakh, uh, as he does to, you know, many other countries, but was uh, arrested by Azerbaijan tortured and they tried to kill him, who is now living in Armenia in fear because they are still threatening him and trying to kill him. So um, Alex is my guest after the headlines. We have um, we've talked a lot and uh, this is a really special treat. Um, So uh, stay tuned in. Here are some regional, local and international headlines uh, for today. Specifics about former President Donald Trump's efforts to keep secret the support from his White House for overturning his loss of the 2020 election were revealed in a late-night court filing that detailed more than 700 pages of handwritten notes, draft documents, and daily logs his top advisors kept related to January 6. The National Archives outlined for the first time in a sworn declaration what Trump wants to keep secret. And the U.S. House has, a, has told the federal court that Trump has no right to keep confidential more than 700 documents from his presidency, citing a committee's need to reconstruct Trump's efforts to undermine the 2020 election and his actions on January 6. White House officials so expected a disappointing third quarter growth report this week that they didn't even issue a statement when Commerce Department figures showed just 2%. Longtime Biden economist Jared Bernstein simply tweeted an explanation in professional jargon, the economy remains highly elastic to COVID. In other words, the economy's growth slowed from its 6.7% very hot second quarter pace, largely for the same reason job growth in August and September fell short. It's also a major reason that inflation shows no sign of subsiding anytime soon. The reason is the persistence of novel coronavirus, which continues to shape the contours of economic performance in the US and around the world. After rising vaccinations pushed down the pandemic earlier this year, the surge of the Delta variant pushed right back. President Joe Biden warned dictator Turkish President Erdogan during a meeting on Sunday 
that any precipitous actions would not benefit U.S.-Turkish relations and that crisis should be avoided. Erdogan earlier this month ordered 10 envoys, including the U.S. ambassador, to be declared persona non grata for seeking the release of jailed philanthropist Osama Kavala, though he later withdrew the threat to expel them. COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and deaths continue to decline, but many parts of the country are still experiencing high levels of community transmission. CDC's COVID data tracker shows that as of October 28, 2021, 221 million people in the United States have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine. 191 million people are fully vaccinated. More than 15 million people have received a COVID-19 vaccine booster dose. 766,094 Americans have died from COVID-19 so far. Armenia urged judges at the United Nations Hague-based court to order Azerbaijan to release Armenians detained during the country's unprovoked assault on the independent Republic of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, and to stop promoting ethnic hatred. Azerbaijan is actively spreading Armenophobia amongst its people, including in schools. Azerbaijan is illegally holding over 200 Armenian hostages, some who were prisoners of war, while others were kidnapped after the end of the assault. Azerbaijan, with help from Turkey, unleashed a genocidal attack and ethnic cleansing against the Armenians of Artsakh starting on September 27th of last year that resulted in the massacre of almost 5,000 Armenians. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, um, I'm going to get really blunt because I've been trying to put this puzzle together about what happened last year with this uh, unprovoked genocidal assault that Azerbaijan and Turkey unleashed on the people of Artsakh, the Armenians of Artsakh, and the world just watched in deafening silence. I am also producing a documentary feature film. I went to Armenia back in May and June of this year, and I went again earlier this month, and I just got back. So I've been researching and reading and uh, watching, talking, interviewing all kinds of people to sort of see, you know, how could this have happened? And why didn't all the parties that were supposed to do something, didn't do anything, including from United Nations to European Union, Council of Europe, uh, OSCE, which is the Organization for um, Security and Cooperation in Europe, uh, as well as other organizations and nations and such. And the answer is very complicated and it cannot be uh, discussed in one uh, let's get blunt segment or, you know, even a like a two, three hour symposium. But more and more, I, I come to this one term and which is hypocrisy, because whether it's a summit or uh, some political gathering or some leader giving a speech behind the podium under the, the, the lights with a big blowhorn, they all talk a good game and they all talk big and talk about peace and prosperity and, uh, you know, cooperation and human rights and all this good stuff, all these talking points and sound bites. But just looking at this one, one 
thing from last year very closely. There's so much more involved. It's just difficult to really wrap your head around it. I, um, you know, just looking at all the different um, sides and to see what happened and how um, Azerbaijan uh, came into Artsakh and occupied 80% of it and the president, the prime minister of Armenia basically had to sign a, cease, uh, a ceasefire agreement uh, that Russia brokered between Azerbaijan and Armenia with essentially a gun to his head, uh, which allowed Russia to come in and uh, settle in many parts of Armenia, as well as Artsakh, as peacekeepers, which itself sort of sounds good at the beginning until you really look into it and find out that Russia always wanted to be in the South Caucasus, but it didn't have an opportunity. So this gave Russia uh, an opportunity to penetrate in the South Caucasus and nestle all around that area between Turkey and Armenia, Artsakh and Azerbaijan uh, and Iran, just north of Iran, and be able to really control to a degree, but also monitor the flow of Caspian oil and gas uh, from Azerbaijan into Europe. The other discovery I had was water resources. Um, I found out that Azerbaijan doesn't have a lot of sources of water, and part of this invasion uh, is due to wanting to sort of take over the water resources uh, of Artsakh, which they did. And now they are uh, constantly cutting off water and electricity and other uh, resources and services to the people of Artsakh and harassing them. They basically want to isolate them. Uh, so this goes on. And of course, Turkey is backing Azerbaijan because Turkey, the dictator president of uh, Turkey, Erdogan, always says, uh, that Turkey and Azerbaijan are one nation, two states. And he has aspirations for a pan-Turkic uh, sort of land that stretches from Turkey all the way to the very east of the continent of Asia. The problem is this one tiny sliver of land called Armenia <laughs> cuts off that sort of pan-Turkic aspirations. It's the only thing that stands in the way. So now they are provoking and they are pushing, bullying themselves into uh, Armenia proper. And Armenia has been put in this position, uh, this impossible position of, uh, of not sort of having a lot of leverage power because of these powerful nations. And then there is, there is Iran in the south who sort of stayed out of the conflict and didn't do anything. But now Iran is sort of pissed off because... Azerbaijan uh, arrested two Iranian truck drivers who were driving on this road that goes from Iran all the way up to northern part of Armenia to Georgia, but parts of it goes through Azerbaijan. So Azerbaijan arrested these two truck drivers and uh, threw them in jail, and Iran wasn't very happy about it. And come to find out that part of this sort of bigger plan is the, the sort of if Turkey and Azerbaijan are able to occupy southern part of Armenia, which will connect Turkey and Nakhichevan, another section of uh, historic Armenia that Azerbaijan occupied, connect it with Azerbaijan, then that would cut off Iran 
from Armenia. Now, it's bad for both nations because Iran's way out to Europe is through Armenia, and Armenia being sort of blocked by uh, both Azerbaijan and Turkey on each side gets a lot of its resources and food and such from Iran. So that's just another um, level of, of threat that this country is experiencing. So this is so much bigger. And of course, you know, United States, although uh, you don't hear much about it, United States has a stake in all of this as well. Most sort of uh, obvious part is that the United States doesn't want Russia's influence to extend any more than it already has. Also, of course, the Biden administration is not too keen on Turkey and Erdogan's actions. But I had uh, interviewed a member of Congress uh, not too long ago, and he said, you know, the U.S. and especially the Biden administration looks at all of this sort of in a much broader regional thing. So to me, that sounds like it says the U.S. wants to do what's best for the U.S. And justice and human rights and who's right uh, don't matter, really. And there you have it. So it's kind of like everyone out for themselves and uh, smaller nations like Armenia that doesn't have endless oil and gas uh, flowing, so like Azerbaijan, and doesn't have all that money to spend on lobbyists and public relations firms to spread lies and disinformation throughout the world, bribe and uh, do all kinds of things throughout the world with uh, officials from uh, Council of Europe to the UK Parliament um, and European Parliament are sort of stuck. And uh, it's, it's a very difficult and volatile um, situation. So, you know, it's, it's just a terrible situation. And my film is, is really about this. It's about what happened last year, but it's also about the ongoing, this campaign uh, of, of hate and violence that Turkey and Azerbaijan have unleashed on the Armenians in general, uh, of Artsakh as well as Armenia, and what's happening. Uh, if, you, if you want to know more information about uh, my film or watch the five-minute sizzle, you can go to motherlanddoc.com. Uh, that's motherlanddoc.com. It's the website. You can, watch the, you can watch the sizzle and see what it's about. Um, I interviewed Congressman Adam Schiff and Senator Bob Menendez for it. I've also interviewed uh, other members of Congress, but those two are in the sizzle. And uh, on my trip to uh, Armenia this time, I got to uh, interview Alexander Lapshin, who has a remarkable story, a very painful one, who is my guest today. So there you have it. I'm just being blunt about the, the state of politics and the selfishness of politicians and nations, and how uh, they say one thing from the podium, but uh, their actions are entirely different. Uh, I should say that there's an exception, and that is uh, France's President Macron, who has stood for justice and was stood by Armenia and what is right uh, and supported it, and that cannot, uh, that cannot be ignored. And of course, many members of Congress here in the U.S. have really stood up and been very vocal about it and supported the, the Armenian community here in the States and in uh, Artsakh and Armenia, such as uh, Congressman Adam Schiff and uh, Senator Bob Menendez, uh, Congressman Brad 
Sherman, Congresswoman Jackie Speer, Grace Napolitano, and many more. Oh, Frank Pallone, Congressman Frank Pallone from New Jersey, of course, and many, many more. So um, there you have it. There's my <laughs> bluntness for this show. And uh, I hope you enjoy my interview with uh, Alexander Lapshin. Let's get blunt. My special guest today is uh, Alexander Lapshin. I'm very excited to have this uh, interview with Alexander, who I met in Armenia just uh, about over a week ago. I was there. Uh, I've said this before. I was there filming for my documentary feature film, Motherland, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet with him and interview him for the film. Uh, but this is a new interview uh, that I'm doing just for this show. And... Um, Introduction to him is a, is a little sort of lengthy because, you know, Alexander is a journalist and a travel writer. He's a, he's a Russian Israeli who has traveled throughout the world and happened to have gone to uh, Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, in 2011 uh, to sort of write and blog about his travels and food and places to see and such. Uh, sort of not knowing what he's walking into. And later he did the same thing going to Azerbaijan, also unsuspected, sort of just doing his thing. And uh, in 2017, while on vacation in Belarus with his family, he was arrested by the officials there under the order of the Azerbaijani government. And he was extradited to Azerbaijan. Um, not allowed to sort of talk to anyone, his attorney, diplomats, family, etc. And uh, he had, uh, you know, months of being in the prison, uh, sort of a brutal prison. He was abused and he was assaulted and uh, they attempted to kill him. In fact, they have attempted to kill him twice after that while he is uh, free. Um, finally, the Israeli government and the Russian government and the European Union uh, got involved and he was freed. Um, but of course, with a, quite a lot of damage to him, obviously, in his family and such. And so it, this is a remarkable story and uh, one that it, it just sort of spans politics, geopolitics, power, dictatorship of Azerbaijan, human rights, and such. So I hope you enjoy my uh, interview with uh, with uh, Alexander Lapshin. I think there's a lot that you will um, hear that there's no way for me to cover during the introduction. So enjoy. Hello, Alex. Uh, welcome to the Blunt Post with Vic. How are you today? I know it's uh, even though it's morning here, uh, you are in Yerevan, Armenia, which is 11 hours ahead. So it's evening there. So good evening. Uh, yeah, good evening, good morning, California. I'm here in Yerevan, I'm drinking my Armenian tea called uh, Urts in Armenian language. Uh, <laughs> so and I'm happy to discuss with you. Uh, so good morning, America. Well, good morning uh, back to you. Um, as you know, I was just in Armenia uh, finishing my documentary feature film, Motherland. Um, I was there for the second time. And I had the privilege to meet you, which was a, a special treat. And uh, of course, you have a, such an incredible story that uh, so many people already know about it. But I wanted to talk about it. And even though your case uh, has been an international story for several years and you recently had a victory, um, I think there are people who might still not be familiar with it. So... <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, we start with, with that you are, uh, you know, your profession is your journalist and uh, a travel uh, writer who, you know, who's been to, I don't know, 130 plus uh, nations uh, writing about your travels and with uh, video blogging and, and such. And uh, sort of you accidentally walked into a sort of an international uh, crisis, if you will, that you didn't bargain for. So I'm going to let you really tell people who are listening your story and, uh, you know, describe what happened. Uh, okay, well, um, we all remember from childhood the comedy movies about those uh, strange guys who accidentally found themselves in the epicenter of spy stories. <laughs> Uh, but personally, <laughs> uh, those stories seem funny but unrealistic to me. I was thinking to myself, uh, how come that intelligence services of different countries suddenly look for, let's say, a schoolboy from Oklahoma City, and why on earth uh, would this fate interest the leaders of several countries? But, you know, unfortunately, now I'm forced to admit that those children's uh, movies about spies no longer strike me as a science fiction. Right. Um, so my story, I will tell my story from the beginning. So my story could be kind of script for a Hollywood thriller, I think. Yes. <laughs> I'm far away from I'm far away from politics. I am not a human rights activist. I am just a travel journalist and blogger. I travel around the globe and tell my readers uh, stories about beautiful cities, wonderful nature, exotic beaches, and so on. So among other things, I visited Nagorno-Karabakh, which is called Artsakh in Armenian. So I visited Artsakh in 2011 and uh, for tourism purposes only. And I did not even immerse myself in its political status. Right. So I published a series of articles where among other things, I emphasized a short form, in a short form that uh, Muslim Azerbaijan was ruled by the brutal dictatorship of Alif's family, um, that the Armenians, Christian Armenians of Karabakh could not survive as a part of this country. And therefore, they fought for their independence after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So this was enough for Azerbaijan to put my name on the uh, blacklist of undesirable persons. Uh, which means uh, enemies of the regime. Right. So I think it's important to to say here that I did not even know at the beginning that my name was on Azerbaijani blacklist. So therefore, a few years later, after visiting Karabakh, I also decided to visit Azerbaijan itself, since I was interested in the, for example, Jewish history of this region. Right. For example, mountain Jews of uh, Khazar, um, kingdom 2000 years ago. So I flew to Baku, passed passport, Azerbaijani passport control without any problems here at Akar. And I traveled around Azerbaijan for about 15, 20 days. And later I was arrested in Belarus, actually six months later after this trip to Azerbaijan. I was skipped for almost two months in a Belarusian prison. And then on the personal uh, order of President Lukashenko of Belarus, I was extradited to Azerbaijan. So this caused kind of tensions in relations between Armenia and Belarus and 
uh, become the topic for foreign policy agenda in Israel and Russia. For example, um, Russian. Alex, huh? let me stop you for a second because <laughs> even though I know okay. your story, I'm still enthralled. Um, for those who are uh, just joining us, uh, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jarami, and I'm speaking with uh, Alex Lapshin, who is a, a journalist and a travel blogger um, whose story uh, has made international headlines, um, a story that deserves to be a feature film, um, and we're listening to his uh, incredible story so far, and just to kind of um, just to review what Alex has said is, you know, after going to over 100 nations, he visited uh, the region of Artsakh or Artsakh Republic. And uh, later when he was in, he didn't know that he'd been put on Azerbaijan's blacklist. He was in Belarus and, uh, and he also actually visited uh, Azerbaijan as well, not knowing anything about uh, you know, the politics of it or even being concerned or interested in it. Um, Alex is Jewish from Russia originally, now uh, also an Israeli, and he was visiting uh, Azerbaijan to see some, you know, some places that are important to the Jewish heritage there. And then he goes to Belarus, where he's arrested by the Belarusian police, uh, put in jail, and later extradited to Azerbaijan. Was that accurate, Alex? As I said, uh, both Russia and Israel opposed my extradition. For example, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said that Russia is categorically against the extradition to Azerbaijan, as well uh, against the criminalization of uh, any visits by journalists to certain regions of the world, including Karabakh. So Israel also protested the extradition. The European Union protested as well. Still, nevertheless, as it's known now, Belarus gave my gave me out to Azerbaijan in exchange for um, probably a loan to pay debts for Russian gas and oil. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. That's unbelievable. That's a horrible wow. story. So in Azerbaijan, I was in a, a terrible solitary confinement, solitary cell. Uh, my rights as an arrested person were constantly violated. Um, a lawyer here by my family was refused to see me. Um, I was not allowed to read books. Uh, Israeli and Russian diplomats were not allowed to see me for a long time, for about months and a half, even, even close to two months. Um, and it was written it that if I will not recognize Karabakh as a part of Azerbaijan you know, during the judgment in the court, in Azerbaijani court, I would be raped with a bottle. <laughs> and then I will be killed. So they called me a dirty Armenian bastard and spy. <laughs> Actually, in spite of the fact that I am a Jew, I have nothing to do with the Armenian nation. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Right. Um, so the behavior, in my opinion, the behavior of Azerbaijanis remind me the horror of Nazism, German Nazism, right. concentration camps, and all these horrible movies like Schindler's List of Steven Spielberg and so on. Um, so, remember, remembering how Azerbaijani investigators and prosecutors spoke about Armenians, I saw that they did not differ in any way from the German Nazis. So, they said that Armenians are defective nation of freaks, um, that Armenian females are oh. prostitutes, and so on. Um, so, basically, 
As a result, after spending two months in Belarus before the extradition and then uh, seven months in uh, Azerbaijan prison, I was assaulted by four masked men in my cell. I was beaten. And when I lost my concession, this <clears throat> a stage uh, suicide. Uh, so while I was in an intensive care unit of Baku hospital, all the media in Azerbaijan published um, false information that the blogger Lapshin tried to commit suicide, but they saved my life. To cover up and what they then did. President, uh, yeah. They staged uh, or claimed falsely that you tried to commit suicide so they can uh, clean up and they can cover up their crime, which is, you know, beating you up. Exactly, 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 exactly. So then uh, <clears throat> President Alif of Azerbaijan suddenly decided to pardon me and I was sent to Israel, extradited to Israel. So basically, this is my story. So after arriving in Israel, I applied to human rights court. But this is a little bit different story. If, if you like, I can tell you about my uh, judgment with Azerbaijan in Strasbourg. Yes, like absolutely. So. Go ahead. Uh, so immediately after I, <laughs> I survived, I got back home to Israel. I decided to apply with a law suite against Azerbaijan in the human rights court in Strasbourg, France. And I won. And I won the, the judgment. The court said in a ruling published on May 20 that Baku must pay a compensation of, uh, you know, $36,000. Actually, basically, I am satisfied with the decision of the European courts since the decision taken uh, fully reflects all the facts of what happened to me. Azerbaijan made serious effort to prevent the adoption of such a uh, decision against this country, but all efforts were useless. As for the compensation, of course, 36,000 dollars for nine months of torture and abuse for the tears of my wife, and my child, and my mom is absolutely not enough. Right. Uh, this is kind of symbolic, symbolic amount. So our family actually spent more on lawyers than the amount of compensation decided by the court. But here the importance uh, to, important to indicate that the European court always awards symbolic amounts since the purpose is to create, uh, it's more like a legal precedent and not to compensate the victim. Uh, so for this reason, my next lawsuit against Azerbaijan will be in the United States, hopefully in November or December this year, and they hope for a fair decision uh, and normal decent compensation. Something that interested me was that uh, when you were awarded the $36,000 by the European Court of Human Rights, which, by the way, uh, they contested it, and then you won again about a month ago, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. You opened up a bank account at Artsakh Bank to give them the information of a bank account for the Israeli government to deposit the money, which I found, I just find it fascinating and I love it. Will you elaborate on that? Uh, look, this is kind of my personal revenge <laughs> over <Yeah>. Azerbaijan. <laughs> so I was arrested because of Artsakh visit. So let them pay to Artsakh Bank. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So one of the things that, uh, of course, you know, a lot of this is connected to Azerbaijan's um, refusal to recognize uh, Artsakh as an independent republic. Um, but 
also what fascinates me is that uh, President Aliyev and his family who have ruled Azerbaijan like some sort of a monarchy for 40 plus years, and they commit so many crimes, not just uh, against the Armenians and uh, uh, non-Armenians from outside, so, such as you as a Jewish person, but even you know their own people and their journalists and uh, human rights activists. And yet the international community keeps placating to them. And of course, the obvious reason is you know oil and gas that sort of flows through the Caspian. But there's got to be more. So I'm wondering what your take is on that. Um, I think you're right. Absolutely right. It seems to me that Alif ensures the stability of oil and gas supplies and provides his territory to monitoring the situation in the region and for preparation of a possible war against Iran. So both the United States and Israel actually will support Alif regime for this reason. Therefore, the catastrophic situation of uh, ethnic Armenians in Artsakh is not a priority for the European Union and the United States. So it's cynical and scary, but that's life, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. I understand. You are now living in Armenia with your wife and, and, and your daughter, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, correct. Okay. Um, what? Where are you now in terms of um, just in general... Uh, with what you're doing and what's next in in your chapter, you know you're still uh, not in any kind of a stable situation, and there's threats against you. Um, how does that feel, and where are you at now with your family? Um, as you said, now uh, I'm in Armenia, and this country has become my kind of second homeland. It's unbelievable for <laughs> the Jewish yeah. guy from Israeli Haifa, <laughs> but still. I have many friends here in Armenia. Here I feel relatively safe. Uh, Armenia is uh, famous for the delicious food, beautiful nature, and low cost of living, right. comparatively to, to Europe, States, and even Israel. So actually, this, is, this wasn't by chance that I mentioned the issue of security, since the Azerbaijani authorities did not stop of persecuting me, even after the judgment that was passed in the European court. So after loading the legal field, they decided to use the criminal tools to physically eliminate me, actually to kill me. Wow. At least twice in uh, 2019 and 2020, Azerbaijani criminal gangs in various European countries attempt to track me down, but luckily for me, I was warned by the local police. It's happened twice, as I said, in Latvia and the second time in Russia. Wow. And you know, as for my future plans, of course, I continue to travel the world, but I must do it more discreetly nowadays. In addition, I consider the new trail trial against Azerbaijan in the United States, as we told before. Um, this is kind of important stage in my life, which will bring new opportunities and maybe new interesting projects. For example, our preparations are currently underway for the filming of a movie about my case. So the name of the movie is a blacklist of Azerbaijan. And I also consider this a kind of important development of my personal career. Wow. I like that name. Um, of course, it's a painful name for you, I'm sure. Um, but I know that, you know, you, you never intended to be 
an activist or a political or anything like that, but what you're doing, taking a stand and taking them to court and now telling your story uh, with this film, it's, it's going to help millions of people, if not more. You know, and Azerbaijan is not the only country to do this to people and to do this to, you know, foreigners and even their, um, their own nationals. It, uh, it, these things happen all the time. And uh, I think your story is just impeccable for a film. So uh, I'm interested to, you know, hear the developments as it happens. I mean, what, what would you like people, even people who have read about um, what happened to you uh, and, uh, and all of this, to really know the essence of what happened and what to get out of it, something that's teachable or something that they don't know? Look, I think it's important for people to know that a horrible event that taken place in, in the world, including in Artsakh, and uh, if you take the position of uh, ostrich with the head in the ground, this doesn't mean that trouble, that trouble will not come to your home. Right. So I recall the stories of my relatives who went through the horrors of the Holocaust, of the Jewish Holocaust during the Second World War. Right. And they admitted that this could have been prevented if they had treated it other tragedy, for example, Armenian genocide, with a sufficient understanding from the very beginning. Right. So this is the most important point, in my opinion. Yeah, history repeating itself, just in different regions, different ways to different people. If we don't talk about it, learn from it, and hold people accountable. Well, Alex, um, thank you for sharing your story. You know, you, you have such a great attitude about it, but I know that it's not easy and it's kind of reliving, um, you know, a nightmare. Let's let's get blunt, a nightmare that you had to go through, as well as your family for such a long time. Um, I wish you um, best and safety in Armenia, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll talk <laughs> again soon down the line to see where you're at with uh, with the upcoming ventures. Thank you, thank you, Vic. Have a good day. Thank you. Well, that was Alex Lapshin, uh, who is uh, very gracious and uh, you know such a joy to talk to. Someone who's gone through just a horrendous, horrendous experience. Him and his family. You know, he still manages to have humor about it, uh, and I'm very grateful to have had this interview. As I said, uh, I interviewed Alex for my documentary feature film, uh, and so when it comes out, you will see a lot more of what we talk about in the film. And if you want to watch the five minute sizzle for it and learn more about it uh, go to uh, motherlanddoc.com uh, motherlanddoc.com and i hope you enjoyed uh, the interview with alex um, and alex thank you very much for being on the show today um, really really appreciate your time uh, with the time difference and everything before we go i'd like to thank my producer ricky herrera without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C, G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you.
Slump Post with Vic.